Thank you, dear sister, for your testimony. Praise God for God's work of mercy and grace upon your life, even as a young young girl, and His faithfulness to teach you and um, protect you and keep you safe in Him. And just coming out the cornerstone, I know it's tough. It's as I preach it, it's tough for me. The Word of God cuts both ways, um, and yet we know as believers that's what we need. We need to be challenged, confronted. We need to be brought low and humbled and just trust in Christ that He will do the work in our lives. And so that's why we're in the race together and we thank God for just that heart of faith that God has granted to you and your marriage to Joshua and to, uh, for, even me, for me to be part of that uh, wedding service together with you and to see you uh, grow in your marriage thus far. Let's go to the Lord and, and commit uh, Allison to, to Him and, and praise God for her salvation. Oh God, what a joyful thing it is to hear the testimony of your people declaring your faithfulness and your goodness, your mercy and love poured out to us on the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and testify of their good news in their own lives. Therefore, our hearts are filled with gladness this morning as we, as we have heard um, your daughter Allison uh, give you praise and bless your name. Lord, you brought us thus far. You did not count our sins against her, though her sins number more than the number of hairs in her head. Lord, you did not count it against her. You are compassionate. You are merciful. You looked upon her soul, and your love caused you to, to pour out your saving grace. And Lord, you granted her faith to trust in you and to uh, commit her ways to you, O God. And Lord, how, how true Psalm 1 is. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Uh, in all their ways, they will bear fruit. Leaves will not, will not grow wither. They're planted by streams of living water. And that's what we see in her life. So therefore, God, we pray that you would cause her all the more to work out her salvation with fear and trembling. That she would abide in the vines. That she would bear much fruit, proving herself to be a disciple of Christ. And that she would adorn a doctrine of God in every way and make you beautiful to our family, to our friends, to complete strangers in this world. Lord, we pray that you will make her a woman devoted to her home, a woman devoted to kindness and goodness, a woman, oh God, devoted to you in every way. We thank you and bless your name together. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Cornerstone. Good morning. Good morning. We need to say that to make sure we're all awake. If it was on a regular Sunday, I'm still uh, at home, maybe having breakfast, uh, driving, my, driving here. Um, as Pastor Jason shared, what a wonderful week we've had, the Shepherds Conference. Um, to hear C.J. Mahaney preach was a treat. To hear him preach live was, was very, almost glorious. Um, and spending uh, three days with the pastors and shepherds of our church, that was, uh, that was pure joy. Uh, to eat together uh, at various restaurants of varying quality, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to spend you know, morning, afternoon, and evening together was just sweet joy. Um, shepherds Conference is great. Next year, we, wanna, we hope to get away, go to another conference out of state so that we can spend just more time packed together because our fellowship was so sweet. Now, we have to get to the Word um, in Titus 2. So with that end, let's open our Bibles. 
Pastor Lawson commissioned us to read the text. And so we're going to do that this morning to begin our time in the Word. Titus 2, 1 through 5. Titus 2, 1 through 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Let me begin with a brief reminder of what we are doing and why we are doing this. Remind you that we are focusing on a different aspect of Christianity in our series on Titus 2. In our study of the Gospel of John and the subsequent doctrinal study of the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, our emphasis was on theology. Our emphasis, our focus was on doctrine and truth. So we had committed ourselves to an expositional, exegetical understanding of the text, understanding who God is and what He demands for us. Now, Titus 2, that study is focused much more on application, much more on practice. Titus 2.1, speak the things that fit right doctrine. Speak the things that fit right doctrine. Not speak right doctrine, but the things that fit right doctrines. Therefore, our study is not on the doctrine of kindness, but what kindness looks like. What goodness is. Exhorting the women of the church on these qualities of verses 3 through 5. The marks of application. Marks of exhortation. That's what we are doing today. So, though I just came back from Shepherd's Conference where they compelled us to teach the Word, to preach the Word, to give expositional sermons, emphasizing sound exegesis and preaching the text, because we're on Titus 2, I'm less preacher-teacher, more pastor-shepherd. Uh, less uh, teaching, more exhorting, less information, more application. Just a reminder of why we are, are studying the Bible in this way. Less doctrine, more obedience. Less doctrine, more life. So, I can't believe we're doing a two-part study in the kindness of women. That was not my intention. I wanted to, at the onset of our study, skip kindness and get right to the good stuff, submissive to their own husbands. Right? For my own sake, I wanted to just, focus, maybe a five-part study on submissiveness to their own husbands. But as I started the study on, on kindness, so important, so uh, relevant to our women, that is turning out to be a two-part series. I'm going to briefly go over Briefly review what we went over last week. I'm going to go light speed, and then as soon as we, we catch up, I'm going to slow down 
for the second part of our study. Remember last week, we began our study with Proverbs 14.1. Proverbs 14.1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tear it, tears it down. Another version says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. And we looked at how no one has more power to shape and influence a family than the wife and mother. The most important person, the most influential person in the home is the woman. Her clout and influence is without equal. Therefore, a church's vitality and strength is directly dependent upon wives and mothers because strong families build strong churches. For a church to be strong, it has to have strong families. And a family cannot be strong if the mom, if the wife is tearing down that family, tearing down that home. So we began with the importance of women. Single women, your influence to your parents, your influence to your siblings, especially the oldest woman, old, oldest sibling, right? oldest daughter, your influence upon your siblings is, is without equal. For wives and moms as well, women have unequal power to influence her home or family, and if she's wise, she's building up her family. She's building up her husband, her children. As a daughter, she's building up her dad, building up her mom, building up her siblings. With her dignity, respect, and integrity, she becomes a strength to her household. And Proverbs 31 speaks of such a woman. But the knife is sharp, remember, and it cuts both ways. She has power, therefore her power can build up, but she could also tear down. She has equal power to destroy her family. That foolish woman thoughtlessly and stupidly wields her influence and she destroys her house. So she, with her imprudent and indiscreet words, with her harsh and nagging attitude, she wears out her husband. She gives him no respect. She doesn't give him strength. She emasculates him by her rude and disrespectful conduct day in and day out. She destroys and tears down her own family, her own children. Her children are exasperated, embittered, provoked, full of resentment because of her. Her selfishness is such that her children are emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. She's a burden to all her friends, burden to her church. They are double-edged knives. They cut both ways. And so the world is telling women, do whatever you want. You know, act according to your emotions. Do what you desire to do. Be impure. Be immoral. Work outside the home. I mean, opposite of Titus 2. And you do that. And you will destroy your home. You will destroy your husband, your children, your siblings, your parents. If you go opposite of Titus 2. That's what Paul is doing. Paul is telling Timothy. Titus, teach your older women to teach younger women to do these things because strong families, they're essential for a healthy church. So he's exhorting women to grow in these seven areas. Love husbands, love children, be sober-minded, be pure, be diligent at home, be kind and be submissive. Do these things and your home, your family be full of joy. As believers, we understand that the joy of the home is not in the furniture. It's not in the neighborhood. It's not in the paint. It's not in the, the price of the carpeting. It's not in the appliances. See, the world, the joy of the home is in all these things. And they think if they would just fill their house with these expensive things, there will be joy. But Christians, we understand 
that the joy of the family is not in those things. We know many families that, have, that live in the nicest of neighborhoods. They have the best furniture, most expensive appliances, and the people are miserable. I mean, you can just feel the misery as you walk in those, through those doors. Right. Uh, and Proverbs talks about this. Better to dwell in the wilderness than to dwell with a contentious and angry woman. 21.19. 24.9. Better to live in the corner of a rooftop than with a quarrelsome wife. 25.24. I don't care how big your house is, how not nice your house is, but if you have a quarrelsome wife, Proverbs 25.24 is better to live exposed to the elements at the corner of the rooftop than inside that house. Proverbs 27, 15, and 16, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind. It's impossible. Or to grasp oil in one's right hand. It cannot be accomplished. So Paul, in a list of his ex- exhortations to women, he includes kind, agathos. I wouldn't have included it. I don't know any better. But Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is wise. He understands ministry. He understands what shines in darkness, especially in the culture of women, especially in the culture, the community, and relationships of of wives and mothers. When When a wife is kind to her husband and children, it stands out as light. Moms get together for play dates, and they see a mom who is kind and good to her own children, consistently, it stands out as light. And the Word of God is not reviled. Ultimately, it makes God attractive. It makes women, their hearts are open to this woman and her message when they see genuine kindness. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, understands that, and that is why we're studying that to this end. Not just to understand a doctrine of kindness, but how to grow in that uh, as believers. So kindness and goodness, these two terms can be used interchangeably. Um, kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Right. So what is kindness? You desire people to be happy. So as a wife, you have a sincere desire. You want your husband to be happy. As a mom, you want your daughters to be happy. As a daughter, you want your parents and your siblings to be happy or grandparents living in the home with you, or whoever, your friends to be happy. Goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. Goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. Just being kind has uh, no benefit. You need to plan. You need to calculate. You need to have premeditated activity to advance the happiness of your husband, children, parents, siblings, friends, neighbors, strangers, so on and so forth. And it begins in the home. Concentric circles. Right? That's why the emphasis of women is in the home. It's easy to do it outside. It's easy to be a saint abroad and devil at home. God's call and the challenge is, is to be a saint at home, not devil abroad, but saint at home and be a saint abroad as well. But beginning with your own family members. We looked at kindness, right? Some examples, amiability, not being grumpy, um, being content, being selfless. We looked at goodness, 1 Timothy 5, 3 and verse 10. Uh, activities of, that, that marks out goodness, some examples of goodness. She has brought up children. She has shown hospitality. She has washed the feet of saints. 
She has helped those in trouble. She is devoted to every good work. And that was last week. I had 23 pages of notes last week. I ended it at page 13. Because I was like at the 15-minute mark. And I, if I didn't end there, I had to go all the way through. And our church would be full of unkind women after the service. Right? So I ended it there. And here we are, our starting part two of kindness. Now, I, I, I would think some of the women that listened to the sermon last week were thinking this. Especially for those who've been married for some time, and especially you moms out there with young children, or children, period. I have to believe some of you are thinking this, you know what? I used to be kind. I used to be gracious and gentle. I, I used to be so warm-hearted, patient, understanding. I used to abound in good works. I used to be a selfless woman, joyfully sacrificing and serving others. Wow, what happened to me? Right? And I have to believe some husbands out there thinking, yeah, my wife used to be kind. Man, when we're dating, she was so nice and gentle and gracious and patient. Right? What happened to my wife? Or maybe some children. Maybe you look at like pictures of your parents. And you see pictures and go, Mom, Mom, like, you're smiling in this picture. Right? When was this? It was before you were born, right? <laughs> wow, well, I've never seen you smile before. What happened to you? Dummy, uh, what do you think happened? You were born, right? Smiling before, frowning after. What happened to some of these women, some of these wives, some of these moms? I'll tell you what happened. Fathers, husbands, and children happened, right? Fathers, husbands, and children happened to them. See, women are the, have the greatest influence in the family, but who has the greatest influence on the woman? On the wife, on the mother, on the daughter. Who has the greatest influence? Husbands do. Fathers do. Children do. And siblings. Right. Husbands are the greatest influence to wives. So you look at your wife, she's not kind, she's not gentle, she's not gracious, she's not humble. I mean, you just all those adjectives. And you as a husband take a look in the mirror because that's what you created. You created, you provoked, you raised up this kind, gentle woman and you provoked her to anger, you embittered her, full of resentment. And you didn't do what God, had called, God has called you to do in Ephesians 5.22. Through 27, husband is the head of the wife. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. They're submitting, they're following you, and you're leading them to sin. You're leading them to foolishness. You're not protecting them. You're not covering. You're not leading, serving. You're not loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You're not, you didn't sanctify her. You're not cleansing her with the water of God's word. You're not seeking to present her to Christ without spot or wrinkle so that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, it's your fault. You are to blame. The blame lies at your door, at my door. For single women, I I don't want to, you know, but this is what the Bible says, this is what I believe. 
that the fault lies with your fathers, with your dads. Fathers are the greatest influencers to daughters. Their role, it's, God has given them the responsibility to protect them from themselves. Protect them from themselves, from rash, thoughtless, and ill-conceived, sinful de- decisions. Numbers 30, 3 through 5. Let me just read that for you. It takes some of you a long time to find it. So Numbers 30, that was a joke by the way. Okay, Numbers 30, 3 through 5. If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself in a pledge while within her father's house in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand. And every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will forgive her because her father opposed her. So God acknowledges the headship authority of fathers over daughters. So if a daughter makes a rash pledge, Rash vow, ill-conceived, foolish, sinful, proud-filled vow. Her father hears it and he says, you know what? I know you mean well. I know, honey, where that's coming from. But you don't know yourself. You don't know where that's coming from. That's, That's not very wise. I release you of that pledge. And the daughter says, no, but I made that pledge to God. Well, number 30 says, God has given me the authority to be your covering, to be your protector. And I can affirm or nullify that vow. And I choose to protect you and release you from that vow. Years later, the daughter looks back and says, Dad, thank you so much. Right? Thank you so much for protecting me. You know, maybe I made that vow to that foolish guy. You know, I vowed before God. I would give Him my heart. And that was, you know, now I see that was so foolish. I would have destroyed my life. My life would have been a wreck. Dad, thank you so much for standing in the gap on my behalf, for being my protector, my guardian, for, for helping me from myself. But when fathers don't do that, and fathers don't cover, protect, lead, shepherd, and even discipline their daughters. Daughters are helpless to themselves. To their own foolishness. They become embittered. Provoked to anger. Full of resentment. And they become angry women. They're far from kindness. What about children, right? When fathers don't demand that their children honor and obey their mom, right? When fathers come home and they want to just play with the kids, they want to just be the good cop. They are, you know, tolerant. They're, they're, they want to be the kind parent. And they allow, he allows the children to, to, to walk all over mommy disrespect her, dishonor her, and he stands idly by and he's, he's uncaring. Then children, right? 
are out of control, disrespecting their mom, and causes a mom to resort to what? Resort to nagging. Because her husband won't listen to her. Her children won't listen to her instructions. She has no authority, no hand in her relationship at home. So she has to resort to nagging, resort to being contentious, resort to anger, because her ch- even her children won't listen to her. So, uh, what is the reason for all these, uh, for the angry, contentious, quarrelsome women in Proverbs? Um, it's because of the men. It's because of the men. See, here is... Here she is seeking the happiness of others. Here she is calculating activity to promote that happiness in others. And what is happening? No one is seeking her happiness in her own family. No one cares about her happiness. No one is calculating to promote her happiness. So she struggles with kindness. Let me give you some just practical illustrations how, how this happens in the home, in the family. I got a lot of help from the husbands. You know, husbands, we know we're messing up at home. We know we're not doing well. So at least take heart, wives, right? Your husbands know. Whether they will do anything about it, it's up to the Lord, right? We need to pray. But they do know we are, we could, be, we could do a lot better in helping you grow in kindness and goodness. Um... I think oftentimes, husbands, because of our selfishness, we unknowingly provoke our wives to anger. Innocently, unknowingly. I think, I'll say largely, we don't know any better. You need to help us. You need to help us understand, help us to grow in empathy, help us to you know, open our eyes, like explain things to her, explain why does this provoke you. Because for us, it doesn't provoke us at all. It doesn't hinder us at all, so we don't understand, so you need to help us. I think largely husbands just don't know any better. It's a good time for illustration, right? So years ago, when I was going to seminary, the pastor of this church, then after Cornerstone was planted, uh, they had a Semwise fellowship, and a professor from the master's college, and she, she teaches on homemaking, and she came and did a uh, teaching on etiquette, and how Men ought to serve, husbands ought to serve their wives. And she was telling the wives, seven wives, how appropriate it is for, wives, for husbands to open the doors for their wives. Especially um, getting into the car, getting out of the car. It's so appropriate. And Serene's sitting there and goes, yeah, James used to open the car door for me. Like the first month of dating, you know. What happened to that? And the questions were, well, how do we help our husbands to be courteous? in that way, and open and close doors. And she was saying, you know, just stay in the car, right? Refuse to get out of the car <laughs> unless he opens the door. Refuse to get in unless he opens the door. So like on a Wednesday or Thursday, she comes back, and she tells me this whole thing about this study and etiquette and being you know, courteous and being gentlemanly. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that sounds great. Yeah, I want to be a good husband. You know, I want to help. I want to be courteous. I want to honor my wife. So for, I think... My wife's here. For a few days, at least for a day, I did open, that, open the doors and close the doors. I, I think I did. So one Sunday after church, we, went, we all went to a restaurant, and we you know, parked our car. And, you know, I just, yeah, I'm busy. I'm, I'm just thinking about something else. So I get out of the car, and, uh, you know, 
I'm waiting outside, like several feet. I'm walking, and I realize Surin's still in the car. So I'm thinking, she's doing, you know, I don't know, makeup, or she's, you know, calling someone, or she's doing something. So I'm just waiting there, just like, you know, and I'm taking my phone and just flubbing through my pockets, you know, do have any gum or something, and, uh, and it was a hot day. I remember I had that black Ultima, right? It was black car, it was beating in the sun, it was like 90 plus degrees. And like for 15 minutes, she's in the car. So I'm like, well, I don't want to bother her. Maybe she's talking to someone, she's praying. I don't want to like interrupt. So I'm just waiting for her. And then she finally comes out of the car and she's sweating. She is drenched. And she's not very happy. I could tell by her countenance something's wrong. I swear, what happened? What were you doing in the car? Was it hot in there? And she's like, oh, forget it. Let's go eat. And then the green light finally went on. She was waiting for me to open the door. And I unintentionally provoked her to much anger and frustration. I didn't know better, right? I think a lot of husbands and things they do, they fall in that category, like picking up socks, right? You know, why? <laughs> just, we don't know any better. I, I, I just put my socks by the stairs because next time I go up, I'm going to pick it up on the way up, up upstairs. I don't want to go upstairs just for the socks. As I put it right there, the next time I go up, but... When I'm walking up, I don't look for things to pick up, so I forgot to pick it up. And then a few days later, I realized, wow, they've been sitting there for three days, but I didn't leave them there just to anger my wife. Purely unintentional, right? It wasn't on purpose. I think a lot of times, unintentionally, we anger us. So wives, you know, understand, right? You need to a little bit of measure of grace, patience, understanding, because most times it's, we don't know any better. But sometimes we know better. And we're just being lazy. We're just being selfish. We know the Bible calls us to shepherd our wives. That it's our responsibility to be the pastor of the home, to care for her soul. That we need to be shepherding her with the water of God's word and praying for her, and praying with her. We know that. A lot of husbands, they're in sin. They're being sinful. They're neglecting you. Husbands know that we shouldn't be giving you leftover time. We shouldn't give our best energy, best time to work and ministry, and people outside the home, and the children, and leave, and give our wives the leftovers. We know better than that. And yet we sinfully, consistently do that. We know better. I think family members know better. But oftentimes, family members just simply don't appreciate the work that wives and moms do in the home. We think that's their job. Make food for me. Right? Do my laundry. Right? You know, clean the house. That's their work. And no sense of appreciating them. And just saying simply... Thank you, mom, right? Thank you, honey, for the meal, for the laundry, for helping, around the, for helping us in the home. Just appreciation. That's what wives want. Just acknowledgement, just appreciation. 
And how about lifting one finger to help around the house? Husbands, huh? How about lifting a finger for the meal? Helping with the drinks. Some husbands, I have dinner with them, they just sit down. And they're just, they put their feet up and they're like King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Right? <laughs> and their wife is a servant and they don't lift. Man, how, man, you just have the thickest face, the heart of stone. You have no conscience whatsoever. Your wife has like 10 kids and you're just sitting there watching her labor away. How about helping around the house? How about having unrealistic expectations? Right? You expect the meals to be perfect on time. It tastes just like Ruth Chris or something. It tastes just like some expensive restaurant. And then you eat that meal and you act like you're on Iron Chef. You're one of those judges and you're evaluating. You're pouring ketchup or salt and pepper and while you're eating, you give advice to your wife. You know what would make this taste better? <laughs> you know what would improve this meal? And all the while, their wives are overworked, loving their husbands, children, being workers at home. These are some ways husbands and fathers and children provoke women and hinder them from kindness. How about goodness? What are some external challenges to goodness? I think for a lot of our women, you didn't grow up with good examples. So you grew up with seeing your mom work outside the home. And then you come to church, and um, maybe single gals especially, you're isolated from other women, and so you just see other women just working and making income, making money, and you see each other on evenings or weekends just having fun, going to see movies and eating out together and being served. And so you don't see the example, you didn't have examples growing up, and you, and you don't see examples now maybe, as you should, of women abounding in good works, the joy oh, and the privilege and the stewardship given to women to abound in good works, caring for children, helping their husbands, right? Washing the feet of the saints, right? Helping those who are in need, devoted to every good work. So because you're, you haven't been exposed to those examples, you just do what your coworkers are doing. You're living for yourself. With the extra time you have, you spend it on yourself. Extra money that you have, you spend it on yourself. With the st- extra strength you have, you spend it on yourself. That's what all your coworkers are doing. That's what your managers are doing. That's what your bosses are doing. So that's what you see, so that's what you follow. Right? So that's a hindrance to good works, good, goodness. Maybe another one is uh, your priority is not in the home. Priority is not in the home. So... You're not doing good works at home. How can you do good works outside the home? Right? As for elders, if you can't manage your own family, what business is it of yours to manage the church? You can't manage the church. So if you're di- not diligent at home, and you're not, you're not calculating activity to promote the goodness of members of your own family, no way we even consider calculating the activity for the goodness of people in the church, or people in the world, or strangers. About husbands, they're selfish, they don't free you up, allow you to do the work of the ministry. Right? They just want you to make money. They want to use you for that nice car, or nice vacation, or retirement. Husbands don't want to free you up. 
to do what God has called you to do, to abound in good works, abound in good deeds, about worldliness. It's hard to care for orphans and widows with a $300 haircut. Right? It's hard to meet someone in trouble if you're wearing a $500 outfit, you've got a $1,000 purse or, or necklace. It's hard to go out there, you know, and to care for someone who's in need if your heart and life is filled with worldliness. These are external challenges for women to grow in kindness and goodness. But ultimately, it's the heart issue, right? These are all external. These are circumstantial. The root reason why Paul commands women to grow in kindness is because it's difficult for women internally in the heart. Right? The heart. See, as men and as a man, I, I always thought kindness came natural to women. It's the guys that need to grow in kindness. You know, women, they're always kind. They're always good. They're always gentle. Isn't it the guys who need this instruction? I mean, young women, they're so neat and tidy, well-mattered and smiling. They, they seem to excel in kindness. That was my, you know, view of like when we were a youth group. You know, our girls were so nice, so gracious, you know, like... You know, beautiful girls, the hair is well kept, you know, clothing's clean, you know, and like the ribbons in their hair, guys come out with like the clothes that they've been wearing for four days and haven't showered in a week and their hair's all over the place, they're grumpy and grouchy. I thought, yeah, girls are naturally kind and boys, they need to grow in kindness and goodness. But you know what? God knows, God knows us and women, God knows you. God knows you so well and... and I think sociologists are just finding out what God has written in the scriptures hundreds or thousands of years ago. You know, I was guessing last week, yeah, w- girls, women are mean. Oh, they're cruel. There's a weird subculture relationally among women that's really harsh. And I was talking to the guys, and you guys were like, just give me this dead look. Agree with me when I appeal to you, but guys, we're, we're good to each other, right? Not, okay, right? <laughs> We're not mean to, there's no like petty things going on with men. We're not like, you know, sensitive and we're cruel and mean and manipulative to one another. Guys, you know, you might hit me and I might hit you on the court and say, I'm sorry. Okay, DP, I'm sorry, brother. You'll say you're sorry to me. And it ends right there. That's good. After the game, there isn't this like, oh, DP, I'm going to get him, right? (laughs) Wait till next week and I'm going to. No, it's all, it's guys, that's how we are. But women, girls, females, they're different. And I was talking to some women this week and some gals, and they're saying, James, you're right. You know, girls can be cruel. And, oh, they were saying, I have scars to this day of things that were done and said that, that prove that out. And one gal was telling me about a book, The Odd Girl Out, The Hidden Culture of Aggression in Girls. This author visited 30 schools and talked to 300 girls. She cataloged chilling and heartbreaking acts of aggression. She interviewed um, 300 girls in the ninth grade, and, the, and she asked them this simple question. <clears throat> what are some of the differences between the ways the guys and the girls are mean? What are the differences? And they all said, girls can turn on you on anything. Girls are secretive. 
they destroy you from the inside. Girls are manipulative. There's an aspect of evil in girls that isn't in boys. Girls target you where you are the weakest. Girls do a lot behind each other's backs. Girls plan and premeditate. With guys, you know where you stand. I feel a lot safer with guys. In bold, matter-of-fact voices, girls describe themselves as disloyal, untrustworthy, and sneaky. They claim that girls use intimacy to manipulate and overpower others. They said girls were fake, using each other to move up on the up the social hierarchy. They describe girls as unforgiving and crafty, lying in wait for a moment of revenge that will cast the unwitting victim off guard and with an almost savage eye-for-an-eye mentality. So social scientists are finding out what the Bible knew all along, that women outwardly, they seem like the most kind people on the earth, but there is sin within sin within, and it manifests itself in this way, socially, to other women. And then once they're married, all that manipulation, all that cruelty, meanness, is just redirected. It doesn't go away once you're married. The ring doesn't change anything. All that is shifted towards her husband, her children, relatives, friends, and so on. It's just redirected. Anger and bitterness. Sinful anger and bitterness. Two occupational hazards of M&M, right? Marriage and motherhood. Marriage and motherhood. Occupational hazards. What's the most difficult thing about being married? What's the most difficult thing about being a mom for, for women? Is sinful anger and bitterness. A lot of moms will say, I never knew I had an anger issue until I had kids. I never knew. I, was, I, was, I thought I was the most patient person in the world. And I have this girl. I have this boy. And man, I struggle with anger. Judith Warner, author of Perfect Madness, Motherhood in the Age of Anxiety, she said that 70% of American moms find motherhood incredibly stressful and maddening. 30% of moms of young children report, reportedly suffer from depression and then bitterness. Let me read to you what, what Mr. Jim Wilson, how he explains this particular temptation of bitterness. Bitterness is based on sin that somehow relates to you. It is not concerned with how big the sin is. It is based on how close it is. See, bitterness in our hearts, it's not about the bigness of sin, but how close it is to us. For instance, if some great and gross immorality occurs in another country, what do we do? We might be appalled or amazed, but we do not feel bitter. Nevertheless, it was an awful sin. Someone actually committed it. So it does not depend on how great the evil is. It depends on how close the other person is to me. So then, who are the likely candidates to cause bitterness? Not a stranger, but those that are close. Fathers, husbands, children, brothers, roommates, co-workers. Bitterness is based upon somebody else's sin who is close to us. 
and who did something to us. It might be minor. It does not have to be great. It just has to be close, end quote. Someone close to you can do a little thing, but it causes bitterness because of that closeness. Carolyn Mahaney, in her book, Feminine Appeal, said, as wives and mothers, we must be especially wary of developing bitterness toward our husbands and children, our closest relationships, for they will surely wrong us in small ways and maybe even significant ways. Because of sin, they will say and do things that inflict pain. In these moments, we must be on our guard against bitterness. Against bitterness. You know you have bitterness in your hearts. If you replay that hurtful event again and again in your memory banks, right? If you're wallowing in self-pity, you're withdrawing your affection towards your husband or children, you're distancing yourself in your heart, you're growing in bitterness. If you're uploading that event, that painful event, you're uploading it and putting it on YouTube and telling others about it, and you're obsessed with that, you're growing in bitterness. And women, this is how, how this deceptive sin is. Um, we, that's how sin operates. Of all the people in the family, you feel somewhat justified in your anger, somewhat justified in your bitterness. Because when you feel anger and resentment and bitterness, what are you thinking? Look at all that I do for my husband. Look at all the things I've done for my family, how I sacrifice, how I give myself. And so for me to be angry, it's justified. I'm in the right to grow in bitterness, to grow in resentment. Look how busy I am, how diligent I am at home. Therefore, I have the right. And then you wallow in that self-pity and you foster that and it's out of control. Um, well, there is a way out. Share with you how you can overcome anger and bitterness and grow in kindness and goodness. Close our time with applications. Let me begin just with two questions to two groups of women in our church. First of all, let me ask the married women of our church simply Are you kind to your husbands? Ask your husbands, honey, are you afraid of me? Right? I find this. Many husbands are afraid of their wives. And it's so, so, so bad. It's bad for the wife, bad for the husband. It's a vicious cycle, a downward cycle. But ask, are you afraid of me? Why are they afraid? Are you afraid? Why are they afraid? Because they're afraid they're married to Bobby Knight. Right? This nice gal. And you miss a shot in anger. Rage, incredible Hulk, right? Just and the husband's like, "What did I do, right? Did I not open the door again, right? Where, is, where are my socks at? You know, what did I, what did I do?" But for a husband to live like that in the home, I mean, you just I don't want to, you know, you just another sermon, but you know why that's not good. So ask, ask yourself, ask your husbands, "Am I kind? Am I do I extend grace? Am I gentle? Am I considerate? Am I patient to you and towards our children?" Right. Secondly, I want to ask the single women, 
to those who are living with your parents? Do you contribute to the happiness to your home? If you as a single woman contribute contribute nothing or contributes very little to the happiness of your home as a daughter, you are foolish to expect something different once you are married. If you don't make your parents happy and make your siblings happy and say, one day I'll get married and I'll make my husband happy, you are woefully deceived. Once you are married, you will also contribute nothing or contribute very little to the happiness and sweetness of your future home with your husband and children. It is therefore of immense importance that you immediately apply this as a single woman living in your parents' home. It is the most reasonable thing in the world that as you enjoy the benefits of living with your parents, their provision, their protection, their comfort, at the very least, as a daughter, you bring them happiness. You bring them joy. You bring them satisfaction. You bring them honor and respect. Consider, will your parents and siblings be sad on your wedding day as you are wed and you leave the family to another family? Will they be sad as they consider, wow, she was such a good daughter. She was a rock to our family. She brought so much joy. When she walked into our home, walked into the room, her countenance, her attitude, her servant attitude, her selflessness was so vital to our family. She brought so much happiness and joy by her kindness. Or on your wedding day, will your parents and siblings leap for joy? Yes! (laughs) Praise God, now we can exhale. Now we can live. Now there's chance for happiness in our home. Some unwitting young man took her away. (laughs) He has no idea what he's doing. But praise God, our work is done. We can exhale now. Now we can enjoy our home. There will be no drama, no conflict, or or much less. There will be sweetness in our home because she is leaving us. Would that be the case? The reality is, when sons leave the home, it should be joy. It should be celebration because you're grooming him to leave. He is to, he is to leave, because he's, he's becoming a man. And part of being a man is to start his own family. So when sons get married, it's like, yes, that's our work. Uh, he's been a selfish guy. Take, take, take. Picking up his socks for 18 years, finally. Somebody else will pick up his socks. Praise God. But the way it ought to be for daughters, parents should weep. They should be sad on the wedding day. Siblings should be sad. Because they're losing such a wonderful minister of grace and help. Right? Oh, our daughter. Right? No one could you know, cook that meal like she could. Right? Oh, the way she woke up and greeted us in the morning. You know, how she cleaned up after us. How she took care of her siblings. Oh, we're not going to have that anymore. Right? That thief, he's going to enjoy all the benefits. You know, he's taking us away. That should be the heart. So single women, do you contribute to the, to the pleasantness of your family? All the more, those of you who have unbelieving parents, you single women, you're living with your parents and they're not Christians, all the more 
You should be respecting them, honoring them, submitting to them, bringing them joy. Make their work a joy, not a burden. You should not be contentious. You should not be disagreeable. You should not be rebellious. All the more, you should bring unity and sweetness to the home. All right? So consider that. If you're serious, you know, ask your parents. Ask your siblings, am I kind? Do I bring you joy? Do I, bring you, do I contribute to the happiness of this family? Ask them these questions. Okay, five more applications. First one is from Carolyn Mahaney's book, Feminine Appeal Again. First of all, ask for help in growing in kindness and goodness. This weight is far too heavy for you to carry alone. It's impossible. Stories told of a dad who asked his young son to lift a very heavy object, a weight far beyond beyond the little boy's capacity. This object would not budge. The father said, try again, son. The boy tried again with no success. Son, you're not using all your strength. The boy tried again, but still the object would not move. Son, you're still not using all your strength. Oh, daddy, daddy, I'm trying. I'm using all my strength. No, you're not, son. You haven't asked me for help. Mrs. Mahaney gives the women a following warning. Please do not try to lift the heavy objects of kindness and goodness on your own. You won't be able to do it. It's your pride that says, okay, I'm going to be kind from now on. I'm going to grip my teeth, you know. If it kills me, I'm going to be kind to my husband. If it kills me, I'm going to be kind to my children. You can't do it. Right? It's impossible. Ask for help. Who is our helper? It's the cross of Christ. It is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the author of our salvation. It is the glorious of the Lord. It is... The cross is the basis for our justification. It is the hope of our salvation. It is also the hope for our sanctification. And we have no hope to grow in kindness and goodness apart from the cross. So look to the cross. Fix your eyes solidly on the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Philippians 3, 10. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. I want to trust in the Holy Spirit. For he gave me, 2 Timothy 1.7, not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Right? So ask for help. Secondly, daily wash your dishes. Right? Daily wash your dishes. So, women, you understand, right? You don't daily do your dishes. You eat, you just leave it on the sink. The rice hardens on the dish, right? Or the food hardens. And next morning you dishes, it's harder to scrape off. It's like five times extra labor doing dishes. Right? If you just did it that night, you want to go to sleep. You don't want to do dishes. But it's much easier that night when the food is soft, right? Then next morning or next you know, two days later or something. Or likewise, with the sin issues in the family, daily wash your dishes right so daily confront husband and children right like graciousness gentleness kindness doesn't mean you avoid truth 
You speak the truth in love. Right? So if your husband offended you, don't say, oh, okay, I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to sacrifice. And, oh, and I'm just going to hold it in. No, that's not, that's not being a fellow believer. You speak the truth to him. Honey, you know, pick up your socks. When you do that, I feel dishonored, disrespected. I feel you're hindering me. You know, you're not helping me. I'm overworked with so many things. Will you help me? Oh, yes, honey. Oh, forgive me for leaving my socks on off again. I'll pick them up and I'll make a note of it. You know, I'll try, try better. Great. You're doing the dishes. Right? You tell your children and they sin against you. You discipline them. Right? You give them the consequence of their sins. That's doing dishes. Right? It's doing your own dishes. It's confessing your sins. Telling your husband, oh, I'm struggling with anger today. Oh, I'm struggling with bitterness or resentment or an unforgiving spirit. Will you pray for me? Right? Will you remember me in your prayers today? Right? Wash your own dishes and wash others as well. Forgive your husband. Forgive your children. Forgive your relatives. Forgive your parents. Understanding that everything that has happened thus far to this point is under God's sovereignty. God, under His sovereignty, desired every one of those things to happen. That was His sovereign will. So, fathers, husbands, so the, everything that's happened thus far was according to the will of God. Therefore, forgive them. Right? And continue to forgive every day. Where are we? Number four, number three. Remember Matthew 18, the passage after church discipline. Remember that passage? And have this be the daily mindset in your family. The, the, the passage is about this servant who, was, who owed $10 to a king, to a master, or, or excuse me, $10,000 to a king. And the king had mercy and compassion and forgave the servant of a $10,000 debt. He rejoices at this great grace that he's received. He's walking down the street, remembers a guy who owed him 10 cents, $10. Sends him to prison, will not let go, full of anger. And Christ said, what an unforgiving servant. The mindset is, God forgave me of a great debt. I crucified his son. I rebelled against him. I murdered him. I tortured him. I spat on his face. It was my sin that put Christ on the cross. How can I withhold forgiveness? How can I be angry for these petty sins that are committed against me and my family members? How can I grow in bitterness? Right? Matthew 18, after church discipline. Remember that passage and have that be your daily mindset. Number four, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Understand that kindness and goodness, they are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Kindness and goodness is not something that we produce. Kindness and goodness, they are fruits of the Holy Spirit that God produces in us as we abide in Christ. John 15. So, so as we abide in Christ, He produces kindness and goodness, gentleness and self-control. 
So I know, it's hard. Wives, especially you moms. But you have to be in the Word. You can't use your children as an excuse because of your pride to not be in the Word. I know you're busy. The last person that wants to kind of like, maybe in a way condemn you is me because I know how busy it is, how hard it is, caring for children, caring for your husbands, abounding in good works. What gets squeezed out is word time, prayer time. But that's our pride speaking. Humility says, I'm going to destroy my house. Right? Not by not doing the dishes, not by not cleaning, not by my failure to teach my children or help my husband, pack my husband a lunch. That's not how I'm going to destroy my house. I'm going to destroy my family because of my anger, because I'm being contentious, because of my, my heart. And so I need the Word of God. It is an essential daily requirement. And kindness and goodness is not possible apart from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I'm going to leave the dishes. I'm going to leave the house messy. Right? I'm going to, you know, whatever. Do what it takes. I have to be in the world. I think it was Susanna Wesley, right? She had 11 kids. And you know how she did devotions? She put her apron over her head in the kitchen. Let her 11 kids run around the house. And she's sitting there under the apron reading the Bible and praying. Hey, if you have 11 kids, you've got to do what you have to do. You've got to go to the garage and go in the car and, and lock the door. Right? You've to, you got to do what you have to do, but be in the Word. It's not an issue of, of circumstance. It's an issue of priority. Right? And then finally, law replacement. Put off and put on. Put off and put on. Colossians 3.8. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth in the home. I added in the home. Put away these things. Instead, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience at home, bearing with your husbands and your children, bearing with them. And if one has a complaint against another Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you all must, so you also must believe. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Father, indeed, you have forgiven us. Indeed, you have shown us kindness and goodness. You desired sincerely our happiness and you acted upon a plan, uh, activity in a calculated manner to secure that happiness in us by the cross of Christ. So we are the beneficiaries of great kindness and great goodness, unequaled in the history of the world. So Lord, being so amazed at your love and the greatness of our salvation, Oh God, would you cause our dear women, married moms and singles to abide in the vine, to fix their hope in the cross, to ask for help. And based upon the forgiveness they received, they would put off anger, malice, resentment, bitterness, hatred. They will put these things off and they will put on the clothes, the garments of Christ. 
and beginning in the home, Lord, they will show that grace that you have given to them and do good to their husbands and do good to their children. And that kindness and goodness will extend to the ends of the world. Lord, we uh, confess as husbands, as fathers, we shame belongs to us as sons for being agents of sin, agents of evil in, in uh, provoking our, our wives, our moms, our sisters to anger, hindering them in their progress of sanctification by our selfishness, by our utter lack of uh, love and compassion towards our dear sisters. Help us to truly repent. Help us to be uh, different at home. Help us to be considerate. Help us to serve. Help us to help our wives. Help our moms. Help us, O oh Lord, would you uh, to, to, grow, be, to be the man that would, that, that would have our women flourish in their pursuit after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.